Anyway, good morning, everyone. My name's Andrew. Um, Joe, could you check that this one's not on? That's often why it echoes. Yeah, thanks. Um, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the regulars here, and it's my privilege and pleasure to be speaking to you this morning. Let me begin by praying. Father God, give us hearts and minds that are eager to hear your word, uh, to put our trust in you, to follow and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this morning, I'm going to be speaking to you about drink bottles. Okay, everyone know what one of these is? Uh, yes, yep, good, excellent. Um, unlike this morning, there's not that many people. 8am had lots of people dressed in a pretty blue colour that looked like my drink bottle. Um, very few people done it this morning. But what matters with a drink bottle, what matters with a drink bottle is what's inside. Okay, and how do you find what's inside? Well, we squeeze it out. That's usually the easiest way to find out what's inside a drink bottle. Maybe your drink bottle contains water, pure, clear water. Water, they say water is life. It's essential for our good well-being. Maybe, maybe your drink bottle contains a sports drink. Powerade, Gatorade, pick your brand name. This is great for when you're tired, when you're lacking energy. I love it after a game of sport. Get a bit of, get a bit of that into you, picks you up, makes you, makes you feel better. Now, one that I didn't have in the morning but Pat mentioned is maybe your drink bottle contains coffee. I, I don't personally drink coffee, so I'm not going to be drawn on what coffee does to you, but maybe there's coffee in it. I know, I know my wife, when she's on a trip, loves having a, have a container full of coffee. But maybe, maybe your drink bottle contains pond scum. No, it's not pond scum. Thank you. It contains pond scum. Yeah, that's right, the one with the bits of um, duckweed. It's pond scum. I, dip, I literally dipped this in the pond this morning. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. That's not good to drink. It's no good for anyone, sorry, correction, it's good for goldfishes. The goldfishes love it. It's no good for us to drink. It makes us sick. It doesn't benefit anyone. Now imagine you're a drink bottle. Don't worry, David, you look better than a drink bottle, but it's okay. Imagine you're a drink bottle, and what comes out, and what comes out of your drink bottle is your speech. What sort of speech comes out of you? Is it water? Is it speech that gives life to others and sustains them? Is it Gatorade? Speech that gives health and strength to those who are weak, comfort to those who are suffering, encouragement to those who are failing. Maybe it's coffee, you know, gives you a bit of a kick if you're feeling down. Or is it pond scum? Is it speech tainted by bitterness or envy or malice? Speech that brings evil, not good, to those who hear it. God cares a lot about how we speak and what we speak. Scripture speaks about our speaking. Why? Because speech is powerful and because your speech reveals your heart. But before we talk more about speech, pun intended, let's think about God's agenda. In his letter to Titus, 
Paul declares that Jesus Christ gave himself to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify us as his very own people. Eager, eager to do what is good. Did you get that? As Christians, we belong to Jesus and we are eager to do what is good. But that's not what the world is like, is it? You could cast your mind back to Romans 1. It wasn't that long ago. Or we could look at Ephesians 4, 17 to 19. What are the Gentiles? The Gentiles is basically us in our worldly state. What are the Gentiles like? Well, they live in futility, in the dark, in ignorance of God. And this isn't in innocence. They're not in ignorance of God because they're like some baby who just hasn't been taught anything yet. But their hearts are hard and calloused. They've got a nice defensive shell against God and his holiness. And they've given themselves up. They've given themselves up to sensuality, to greed, to impurity, to immorality, to falsehood, lies and anger, to corruption and deceitful desires. But that is not the way of Christ. Think back to when you were a child. Were you a messy child? Did you ever play in a pig pen or something equally foul? You guys must have really boring lives. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, Joe did. Okay. You guys must have boring lives. When I asked it at 8 o'clock, there were a whole lot of people who chuckled. So, I don't know... Whether, whether us people growing up in the, in the 70s and 80s were all sort of straight-laced or something. When you finish playing in a pig pen, you look like a pig, you smell like a pig, and you're coated in pig slop or worse. Now, imagine you've come inside to discover that the family's going out to dinner. Is your mum going to say, don't worry about it, just get in the car? No. There's there's a mum speaking, I can see that. She's going to strip you down, put you through the shower, put you through the shower again, and then dress you in clean, fresh clothes. And that's what God wants to do for us. That's the difference between the old life and the new life. It's getting rid of the old. It's a complete and thorough washing. It's putting on the new in true righteousness and holiness. God wants you to be new people. And it is the work of his word and his spirit to make that happen. But remember, your mum, your mum can only wash the outside. God washes the heart, the inside too. But how do we tell what's going on inside? How do you tell what's inside a drink bottle? You might give it a shake. If it goes swoosh, there's probably some liquid in there. But the best way, we give it a little squeeze and see what comes out. Does it smell okay? Does it taste okay? Your speech reveals your heart. The stuff that comes out tells you what the stuff inside is like. Jesus said in himself, 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Look, rules can be kept, habits can be formed, rituals can be followed, appearances can be maintained. But if in your heart you cherish bitterness or malice or envy or selfish ambition, then it will come out in your speech and it will harm those who listen. James, James warns that no man can tame the tongue. And look, I'm not fully sure whether he means that we can't tame our own tongue or whether he means that we cannot contain the damage that selfish speech can do to the community. But both, both are true. External threats, whether it's poverty or persecution, these can strengthen communities. They pull the community together. But evil speech from within the community, complaining, gossip, even a lack of encouragement, that will surely tear it apart. Wise and godly speech builds the church. Selfish and foolish speech tears it down. But can you just keep it inside? Keep up appearances? Should have taken a vow of silence. You can't. Look, technologists have created these fancy filters for drinking water. You've got sewage on one side and clean drinking water on the other. And, you know, personally, with the water crisis a few years ago, I think they would have been much smarter investing in these rather than expensive desalination plants. But they don't work for speech. If your heart is inclined to evil, it will seep out through your speaking, no matter how hard you try. So what's the solution? Solution, get it? (laughs) Remember, God is in the business of transforming people, of purifying them. He can purify your speech and he can purify your heart. But it has to be a package deal. God's only interested in package deals. A bad tree doesn't yield good fruit. A good tree doesn't yield bad fruit. A heart that cherishes sin won't lead to godly speech. But a transformed heart will seek to practice godly speech. This this is why Paul instructs the Ephesians both in matters of the mind and in matters of action, in this case speech. So the first step, the first step in pure speech is to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Actually, that's not quite true. The first step is to be called by Christ and come to him. That's where it all begins. But Paul covered that in chapters 1 to 3. Now we are in Christ and we put off the old self and put on the new. Okay, Put off, put on. That's what this is all about. Look at verse 23. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. So in regards to speech, what issues, particular issues does Paul put, pick up on? Okay, What do we put off? Verse 25, put off falsehood. 
No whoppers, no little white lies, no embellishing the truth in order to brag or to redirect your failings onto somebody else. Verse 29, put off unwholesome talk. No swearing, no crudity, no abusiveness, no obnoxiousness. All the kinds of stuff that tears down and destroys. Put off slander and gossip, talk which undermines others. And put off bitterness and malice. When we're bitter, when we're angry, it comes out in our speech. And it's not pretty. So we're to put off all these things. And I'm sure you can think of others from your own life. But what are our new clothes? What are we to put on? What does God want to hear that springs up from our heart and out of our mouth? Well, we're to put aside falsehood and speak truthfully. We're to put aside crudity and speak honourably. We're to put aside selfish talk and speak only what builds others up. (laughs) That's very challenging. It requires thinking about the person I'm speaking to and thinking well of them instead of thinking primarily of myself. It requires focusing on what God, on what is going to help them grow as one of God's people and be who God wants them to be. Not out of a sense of superiority, you know, the come let me help you, you pathetic person, but out of love. And it forces me to look honestly at my own failings. Am I perhaps a highly critical person who needs to be in control? Or a grumpy and bitter person who wants to drag everyone else down to where I'm at? Or am I a people pleaser whose desire in conversation is to make people think well of me? Maybe one of these describes you. Maybe I'm sufficiently unlike you that my selfishness and your selfishness are different. But in either case, this is hard stuff. These are hard words. But God is serious about this. Jesus was sure that what we say really matters. Because God hears what you say and knows your heart and will judge you for it. Matthew 12, Jesus' words to the Pharisees, and these are the upright people of his day. This is what he says to them regarding holiness. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So let's look at some examples. Let's look at some examples of, with a particular focus on our relationships with our friends, our families and our church families on what it would mean to do things God's way. 
How do we get God's priorities in our heart and have them flow out through our speech so that clean water goes in and clean water comes out? Here's a few of them. When someone asks you, how are you today, what's your first instinct? Is it to complain? Is it to brush the question off with a quick answer so that you don't get too involved? Or is it to share something that will build them up? Now, this doesn't always need to be something happy. You might have had great news. Or you might have had your family spend the entire week taking turns to visit the bathroom or raid the cupboard for cold and flu tablets. Anyone had a week like that recently? But in either situation, can you find something of the goodness of God? Or are you not looking? Can you find something to say that will encourage your questioner? Or do you not care? Transform the attitudes of your heart and your speech will follow. Practice speaking in holiness and godliness and you will transform your heart or train your heart. What about wives? When you see your husband of an evening, do your words honour him and build him up or does he become a scapegoat for the day's frustrations? Husbands, do you speak to your wife as your co-heir with Christ or do you demean her with careless critical words or do you take her for granted by withholding the words of encouragement that she needs? Both husbands and wives, do your words in public make others think well of your spouse or are you trying to recruit others to your side at your spouse's expense? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. What of your leaders? Do your words encourage others to love your leaders? Or are you like the teenager who will in a decade or two discover that his mum and dad knew a lot more than he once believed possible? When someone does a poor job, do you go privately and ask them, do you look like, you look like you're struggling, how can I help? Or do you quietly make bystanders aware of your disappointment? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. In any community, there are always people we don't get along with. They're annoying, or they're boring, or they just don't seem to have a clue. I wasn't thinking of you, Melinda, don't worry. (laughs) Are you willing to listen to them enough to find something to love about them? Have you thought out how you can use your words to say something, anything, that will build them up and not just get them to go away. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. When you're in a conversation, are you eagerly awaiting your next opportunity to speak, or are you seeking to hear what others are saying? 
Some people, myself included, love the sound of their own voice or are always eager to steer conversations to our own interests. But often good speaking is letting the other person speak or letting them share their good news without the desire to trumpet with your own. Another example, what about the friend who always seems to have a new emotional crisis that everyone needs to stop and sympathise with? What can you say and do that will make them feel loved but guide them into healthy ways of receiving love rather than feeding their neediness? But just as speaking too much can reveal a heart issue, so can speaking too little. It's certainly possible to overshare. It's also possible to undershare. Do you refrain from seeking encouragement? Refrain from bothering people, but instead let your anger and frustration boil inside you until you either explode or you push away those who would care for you, blaming them because you're too embarrassed to seek help? Are you stingy with praise? One can maintain high standards and still offer praise and encouragement. For those in authority, either over children or churches, are you stingy with discipline? There's a thought. Maybe your fear of conflict causes you to be silent when you should offer correction. Maybe you're afraid that you like conflict too much and compensate by remaining silent while you inwardly nurse frustration. We must not make the mistake, friends, of thinking that a hard word is unloving because it is hard. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone brings that per- should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of, his, of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That's from James. This is the same writer who warned against the evils of the loose tongue. Okay. Correction is not necessarily... Hard words of correction are not necessarily evil speech. Do it in love, though. But after all that, after all that, there is still one more form of speech, one more form of speech that will do more for your holiness and for your heart than anything I have mentioned yet. Everyone's wondering what it is. What is it? It is speaking to God the Father himself in prayer. For it is God the Father who sent his Son to die and be raised to redeem us It is God the Father who sends his spirit to transform us into the likeness of the Son he loves and of his own glorious likeness. Look, you could take every one of the examples above as things I must do, but without the spirit, they are nothing but empty gestures. Because it's the spirit of God who empties out the bitterness and evil and envy from our hearts and replaces it with a clean spring of fresh, living, life-giving water.
So pray. Put your trust in God for salvation and for holiness and pray that he will renew your heart and your mind and your speech. As Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's be transformed people. God's people. People whose speech is God's speech. And let clean, wholesome, life-giving water flow up from our hearts and out through our speech. Father God, bless us. Bless us in our loving, bless us in our speaking. Fill, cleanse, transform our hearts by your spirit that our words would be your words and they would bring life and they would benefit those who listen. Forgive us for the selfishness that we are always tempted to cherish and replace it with a love for others. Bless our speaking and our action to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.